This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland. The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the city council. City Council meetings are held at 7 p.m. two Mondays per month in Council Chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on at and UVerse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to our December 9th, 2019 meeting of City Council. Please stand and join us for a pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Erica, would you please call roll? Honorable Mayor Donker. Here. Councilman Arnowski? Here. Councilman Brown Wilhelm? Here. Councilman Wazbinski? Here. Councilman Hall? Here. Okay, thank you. Does anyone on council have a conflict of, inter uh, conflict of interest with anything that's on this evening's agenda? No, ma'am, here. Okay, seeing them, we'll move on to our consent agenda. All resolutions marked with an asterisk are considered to be routine and they will be enacted by one motion. There'll be no separate consideration of these items unless a citizen or council member so requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda as indicated. If there's even a single request, the item will be removed from the consent agenda without further motion and considered in its listed sequence in regular fashion. Um, can we have a motion to accept the consent agenda? So move. Okay, so we have a first and second discussion. Is there anyone who would like anything removed from the consent agenda on council? All right, anyone from the public want an item removed from the consent agenda? All right, seeing none, then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? 
All right, that passes, 5-0. And this evening, um, we have a public hearing. It has to do with a um, donation being made to our golf course, and Mr. Keenan is gonna tell us all about that. Thank you. Good evening, Madam Mayor, members of council. <laughs> so, uh, exactly what you said. Uh, we have a, a gift given to the golf course for some suggested improvements to the driving range, which um, we've been thinking about for many years. We just uh, quite honestly didn't have the money to consider it. So, um, and this came to be because this past July, the Dow Great Lakes Bay Invitational LBG, LPGA Tournament was in Midland, and the players utilized uh, the driving range extensively. So you can see we had quite a bit of utilization, just some random pictures, and I don't want to get too big into this because Nick Bednar from Billy Casper is going to be at the next council meeting to tell you how the entire season went, so try not to steal a thunder, just trying to lay enough groundwork so you have an idea what this is about. So we did receive favorable responses from the players and the events coordinator. Um, they approached Billy Casper and said, um, we've got some ideas. Would you guys be open to making some improvements to your driving range if we could help you financially? And we says, well, what did you have in mind? And so um, the first thing they'd like to do is extend the tee box to make it bigger. And I'll explain that to you momentarily. And then they also talked about some other enhancements that would come through. So the first phase, uh, extending the tee box, is essentially this area is covered now because this is in the winter, but this is the tee box with the driving range where they hit this direction. So they would like to move it down here, um, and essentially what that would do is we'd have to get rid of some trees and extend the, the tee itself all the way down. That would provide for uh, many more golfers to be able to actually use the tee box at one time. So accommodating more players is one benefit, but the other benefit of it, and I'll just, I don't like to point out ickies, but um, <laughs> that area there is, it, it, so when you have the, the tee box open and, and people use it, then you have to kind of shift the traffic around to someplace else to try to let that recover. And so we would expand this, the, the, the area, therefore we'd be able to rotate the normal use around uh, a greater area and give it more time uh, to recover. So there's, there's additional benefits coming out of that. Other uh, enhancements that they discussed, subsequent phases. Over on the left, um, this would be a short game facility, and this is something we've talked about for, for many years, at least uh, internally. And essentially what they would do is they would make the, the green bigger, uh, they make the, the putting green bigger. There's an existing putting green right now, so they would make that bigger, and they would add some t sand traps on this side to make this more of a short game chipping facility. And then over here, because we've essentially taken this putting green and turned it into uh, a chipping facility, they would relocate a putting green over on this side. And right here, there is existing tee boxes for the number one hole for the east. Um, they would relocate those here and then turn this into a, a putting green. So these are, these are the ideas uh, that they're discussing. So the initial gift of $50,000 would go towards funding engineering drawing for all of the proposed improvements that you've seen. Not only the extending the tee box, but also the chipping area and then uh, the new, new putting green. Uh, we also, because we're 
in a flood area, we have to go to Eagle, we have to go to the state and get approval for this. And so we would propose getting approval for all of those projects, doing it all at the same time, because it's not a real fast process to go there and we don't want to go through it three times, we'll go through it one time. And once we get the approval, uh, we have actually five years in order to carry through the construction. So we'd have a five year window to do that. <laughs> um, <Carry on. laughs> okay. And then, um, so the money when you pay for those and anything left would, would go towards the extension of the T-Box. And we're, we're pretty confident, um, although we don't have the, the numbers yet from the, the engineer, but in speaking to our engineer, uh, he's relatively hopeful, I'll put it that way, um, that the $50,000 is going to be able to take us through that entire phase right there, the first phase. Um, like I said, we won't know the costs for each phase until after the engineering drawings are done. Um, the intent is to fund these improvements as additional gifts from Octagon are submitted. Uh, they hope to be able to do that annually, so that's the level of commitment that they, I think, put in writing at this point. But um, in conversations, they hope to be able to do this annually. Our intent would be to spend their money. Um, the only, well, that didn't sound very good, did it? Yeah. So. Spend their money in a very great way that would benefit our community. How's that's that? correct. We would, we would try to take that money as far as we can. And um, at the end of this year, if there's not enough to, to do everything that we wanted to this first year, uh, we could either wait till next year to see if they can come with some more money. We could go try to ask somebody else for the funding or depending on how much the shortfall is, we could look at our actual golf course budget and see if it's priority enough that we could use some of our operating funds just so we could get through the first phase. However, we are not obligated. There's no agreement with them that they pay this and we pay everything else that's, that's not in there. I know that was some concerns. Uh, there's no commitment on our behalf to do that. So what you have, um, two resolutions. The first would actually accept a gift from Octagon for the driving range improvements. Um, and because we are Amending the budget requires holding a public hearing, so that would have to happen before the second resolution, um, which would actually be, if approved, would amend the budget to recognize the gift and then provide authorization to spend the funds. And if you have questions, um, I ask Paul Milholland to come in, just in case I talk myself into a bad spot, he could come out and help. Um, I don't know that there's, you really have any questions, but I'm just letting you know that he is here in case you have any. Are there any questions for me, Mayor? No. I may have a question okay. that you may be able to answer. Okay. okay. Um, involvement of Billy Casper in this planning and layout, mm -hmm. are they on board? Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah, these are actually, like I said, these are improvements that, that we want. Um, it's not like we weren't thinking about them until they brought them up. These are things that we have essentially talked about and tried to figure out ways to do it. We just never had the money. I mean, we're always thinking about buying the next lawnmower or whatever, things that we, we have to have. This is a, it's gonna be a nice addition and we haven't really been to the point where we can actually look at nice additions in the golf course, you know, for financial reasons. So yeah, these are, they're on board with us. Yeah, I mean, the reason I ask obviously is we can kind of hold them accountable for the operations and you know, the profitability or at least the break even aspect of that golf course. And uh, yes, sir. it's important I think to make sure they're on board. They're on board. Yep. Okay, thanks. Any other questions for Mr. Keenan? Okay, thank you very much. So okay. this is a public hearing, so we're gonna hold the public hearing right now, and then we'll have the votes, both votes after that public hearing. So um, I'll open the public hearing. Anyone like to speak on be in favor of this? 
proposal? Anyone opposed? Okay, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. And Erica, will you please read Resolution A? This resolution accepts a $50,000 gift from Octagon Incorporated for improvements to the Curry Municipal Golf Course driving range. Can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, we have a first and second. Any discussion? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5 zero. zero. All right, Erica, will you read Part B? This resolution amends the 2019-2020 Curry Municipal Golf Course Fund budget to increase both revenue and expenditures by $50,000 to recognize a gift from Octagon Incorporated for driving range improvements. Okay, can we have a motion to accept? So moved. Okay, I heard, I heard two people. Did I hear you and Pam? Okay. Yes. All right then, any discussion on this? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? We've got a gift and it's in the budget. <laughs> Great, thank you very much. All right, now that takes us down to public comment. And this is an opportunity for the public to comment on issues that are relevant to council business but not on the agenda tonight. Is there any public comment this evening? All right, then seeing none, we'll move on to um, item number three, which has to do with the Local um, Officers Compensation Commission and Ms. Armstrong is going to uh, introduce that for us. Hello, so we're bringing this back to you this evening for the second time so we could hear uh, any public comment. As you know, the Code of Ordinances uh, asks the LOCC to review and establish compensation for the council every two years. Their first meeting was on October 1st of this year, and then they subsequently filed their determinations on November 11th with the city clerk's office. These determinations were presented to council at the previous meeting, and they were made available for review in my office as well as at the library. No public comments have been received to date. Uh, the determinations recommend that the compensation levels currently in place should continue unchanged meaning that the salary would remain at 4200 per council person a year and 6400 for the council person serving as the mayor. Tonight's resolution provides to council that if no action is taken, the LOCC's determinations will become effective automatically on December 11th. If you do not agree with the resolution that's before council, or with the determinations that are before council this evening, you may vote yes on the resolution and reject these determinations. A four-fifths vote is required to achieve that rejection, and in the case of rejection, the existing salary would prevail. If you do agree with the 2019 determinations, then you would simply do nothing with this item, and no action would allow this item to take effect on December 11th. Madam Mayor, I'll give it back to you. Okay. Any questions for Erica? I made all right. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Any comment from the public? All right. Then seeing none. So if we do nothing, we accept it and we can move on. Okay. I think we've just done nothing. <laughs> all right. So we'll move on. <laughs> All right, that takes us now to item number four, which is a zoning ordinance, um, the receiving and filing of the report um, on zoning signage. 
Yes. So thank you for putting that together and telling us about it tonight. Yes, thank you, Madam Mayor, and good evening, Council. Um, back during the meeting in um, October 28th of this body, there was a request for staff to come back with a report for how the city regulates signage currently. Um, a lot of that was kind of brought up as Costco was going through the approval process, which was passed on consent to get that site plan approved. And I'll talk a little bit more of some of the actions the Zoning Board of Appeals has taken in relation to the Costco development. But what I do want to highlight is how we regulate signs, why we regulate signs, and just give a, a very basic overview of where that falls within the overall process of a new development like Costco or another business development. But, um, well, just to kind of start off with the basics, the zoning ordinance does have an entire article dedicated to sign standards. That's Article 8 of the zoning ordinance. And these standards are established um, and are subject to four um, standards, including safety, aesthetics, equal protection and fairness, and then land use planning objectives. So effectively, these are the four um, um, objectives that we're trying to further in relation to having these standards that are on the books. We regulate signs based off of the zoning district in which they're located, and the city has over 10 zoning districts, and so each of those zoning districts has a specific set of sign allowances. They're all related to the type of character that we're wanting to see within that zoning district for new development, and so you'll have much smaller signs allowed within residential districts than you do in, say, commercial or industrial districts. Um, in downtown, for instance, you may have signs that are more related to the architecture of buildings and being above a certain story height on a building to try and reinforce the standards or the aesthetics that we're trying to further within uh, that zoning district. We have the type of signage that's, that's regulated as well as the size or square footage of the sign, the height at which they can be located, and then the number per property that's allowed as well. We do exempt a certain number of signs and those things include things like flags, authorized government signs, historic plaques, directional signs that you may see if you're navigating through a bank parking lot or a drive-through parking lot. A lot of those are exempt. Um, a lot of them are actually smaller than what we regulate, which would be under two square feet in total size. Um, we do have a set of series of temporary signs that we regulate. These would be things like banners or special event signs that go through the special event process. Uh, we also have construction signs, real estate signs, those types of things that temporarily pop up on a site and then are removed, usually within a 30-day period. Um, although in the case of construction signs, you may see them out there on the construction site for the entirety of that construction project to let people know what's being developed. Uh, more importantly though, I guess, and sort of what we're wanting to talk about this evening is the permanent signs that we regulate. And there's really four um, types of signs in this. Um, overall, there's wall signs, which are signs that are fixed to the wall of a building. You have roof signs, uh, which would be connected to the roof of a building. You have a projecting sign, which would be something that's protruding from the side of a building, so likely perpendicular to the building. And then you have ground signs, which are on their own freestanding signs that usually are located closer to the street. Um, you may think of those as pole signs, um, like Walmart or Meyer has on Joe Mann, um, or maybe monument signs that are out in front of a doctor's office. Those are both different types of ground signage. We have special provisions, and if you go through the table within um, Article 8, uh, the long list of special provisions or the footnotes in that table um, do make special provisions for buildings that may have multiple businesses within them. Um, so think of a doctor's office or some type of um, office building that has a number of different entities um, or a strip mall that has different entities within it. Um, if there's multiple street frontages, you're allowed additional signage, which was the case in, in Costco. If you have a distance from the street, you're actually allowed additional signage that applies within our industrial districts only. 
if you have a large parcel, say you have over 300 feet of frontage or maybe 600 feet of frontage, you'd be allowed an additional ground sign for having just a large parcel in and of itself. If you're located within an industrial park or other office or commercial park, there's provisions for that. And then within our center city overlay district that was established back in 2017, uh, we do give provisions for the size of buildings. So effectively buildings that are over a certain square footage are allowed additional signs. So there is the right to apply for a zoning variance, and this is when um, an applicant or a property owner feels that a dif uh, practical difficulty or an unnecessary hardship exists, and it's part of the process that you have with any zoning standard. You can go in front of the city's zoning board of appeals and effectively plead why you think ordinance conformity is unnecessarily burdensome. And that's and what ended up happening in the case of Costco was they felt that they wanted additional wall signs or an off-premise sign, and they wanted to go in front of the Zoning Board of Appeals to see if they would be uh, granted relief for that. Any property owner or business owner has the right to do that. Uh, but the Zoning Board has, of Appeals has a very narrow set of criteria in which they have to review those. It's not simply just um, we want additional signs, we want larger signs. They do have to go through a set of criteria in order to prove their case. And that's the criteria that the Zoning Board of Appeals uh, reviews the applications under in addition to the findings of fact to determine whether or not there's unique circumstances particular to that property. Since 2005, which is when our current zoning ordinance was adopted, we've averaged just over 3.4 signed variance requests per year. Um, of those, 61% have been approved, um, but we average over 135 signed permits that we issue every single year. So if you take a look at the number of signed variances that are requested on an average year, it's a very small, small percentage of the total signs that we permit um, in any given year. So. A lot of that, we do have conversations that go back and forth between our Zoning Board of Appeals and through Planning Commission to determine where there may be some needed relief or recurring issues that we're seeing. Um, but again, the numbers really do speak for themselves and the little amount of variance requests that we have compared to how many new signs we do permit throughout the city. <clears throat> so shifting gears into the Costco development, um, there were two sign variances that were uh, are petitioned by the applicant the first one was reviewed by the City Zoning Board of Appeals back in October of this year, and the second one was reviewed at this last meeting in November. First one was for an off-premise sign located off the on and off ramps of US 10 and Bay City Road. That was approved, um, and then the additional wall signage was approved back in November uh, with the condition that they would forgo ground signs. That was actually a condition that was voluntarily offered by the applicant. The Zoning Board of Appeals, if I can talk kind of specifically about those cases, um, it's a very, it's a unique body of, of the city. We have a lot of uh, bodies that do uh, formulate recommendations onto this, per, uh, onto city council. The Zoning Board of Appeals is really its own independent um, entity, or not really independent, but it's kind of its own quasi-judicial board. Um, it's very important that that board have the ability to act um, really without political influence or without public opinion because they do have a very narrow set of criteria that they have to review. And it's important that they do that because the only way that they are challenged is taking that to a suit at circuit court. So they can't come in front of city council and say, the applicant that is, they can't come in front of city council and say, I don't like what the Zoning Board of Appeals did, can you please overturn their ruling? It doesn't work in that way. They would actually have to take suit to the circuit court and protest a decision that's made by the Zoning Board of Appeals. So with all that being said, um, with sign variances, there are five criteria that must be reviewed. In addition to that, as I mentioned, there's a findings of fact that the board goes through. And if you listen to uh, the, the board meetings of the ZBA, they're very exciting. Um, 
They're actually rather methodical. Uh, they're very intentional, and we intentionally try to provide them with as much information so that they can keep their review within those five criteria. Um, they're a board that authorizes effectively relief or a variance from local law, and so that should not be taken lightly, and we try and make their decision um, as informed as possible, recognizing that they do have a very big ask in front of them, and we do have very good members on that board that take that job very seriously. <clears throat> so with that, one of the other things that was brought up in relation to how we would go about changing sign standards, if there was interest in doing so, um, in the report itself, I did mention that we did do an amendment to Article 8 back in 2017 for the Sitter City Overlay District, but the more comprehensive review um, actually has been back since 2015. Um, but if we were to take a look at the sign standards and change them, that would be a zoning text amendment. The zoning order itself has a very um, laid out process for how we do that. That would be something that would be initiated by city staff, by the directive of planning commission or by city council. Um, or city staff on their own. It would go in front of planning commission for review and a public hearing at that body. They would formulate a recommendation before it would come here for its own public hearing. And then the ultimate approval for changes to the zoning text for signs would be um, at this body. And with that, Mayor, um, that is all I have on this. But the resolution in front of you is to receive and file this report. Okay. Any questions for Mr. Marshall? I have one. Okay. So um, it's usually something major if it comes up where there's a zoning ordinance change. So what are typical realistic expectations of when a change would come forth versus just doing it just for the sake of growth or because special requests are coming? Sure. So I think... Um I guess in, um, there's, there's a lot of things that kind of trigger the need to review a signed ordinance. Um, sometimes case law comes forward out of the Supreme Court that would require us to take a big look at whether or not we're compliant with that. Um, and that has happened in the last couple of years too. So, um, so there's, there's that, then there's of course taking a look at the record of the variances that we have been seeing in front of the Zoning Board of Appeals and seeing if there's any type of um, similarities or reoccurring issues that we're seeing uh, to date that maybe we could address by simply adding a more equitable um, part of the ordinance itself. An example of that would be when we did the Center City Overlay District, we actually instituted a, um, or put in place a policy or a regulation that says you're allowed a certain um, square footage of sign based off your, your leased frontage mm -hmm. so that you don't have um, effectively strip malls or other types of developments where there's individual extra entrances, but if one person comes in and they're the first tenant and they take all 150 square feet of sign and you have 10 more unit spaces to fill, um, we wanted to make sure that we had equitable provisions for those additional tenants that come mm -hmm. in. So that was something that actually came out of a recurring uh, theme that we saw at the Zoning Board of Appeals. Mm -hmm. okay. um, I'd be cautious because I think one-off experiences um, don't make for very good public policy, mm -hmm. and rather it'd be important to take a look at the track record, um, but also take a look at those other merits that we have or those standards that we have at the beginning, things like aesthetics and the safety, um, the land use planning objectives. All of those really need to enforce your decision-making for um, for signs. Good. Thank you. Okay, any other? Yeah, Grant, do you know anything about the origin origin of where these square footage numbers came from? I mean, were they plucked <coughs> from thin air or is there some method about getting those uh, 
the, the, the sort of the numbers that we have in place now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do know that that's, uh, that was largely talked about back during the initiation of our current zoning ordinance back in 2004, um, and really 2003 into 2004 when that was adopted and, and put into place in 2005. Since then, though, we have had a number of iterations and changes. Um, we've had new zoning districts that have been instituted and things like the downtown north side overlay that's been added in as well since that time. Um, so I do know that the sign ordinance, that portion of our zoning ordinance has been looked at uh, rather regularly over those years. The way that you get at a lot of those original square footages is again um, having discussions surrounding all of those other um, objectives that you're trying to achieve. Um, a lot of times you may find that the industry or businesses in and in and of themselves, they most likely want as big of signs as they possibly can. Um, but you have to weigh that against the, the furthering of the aesthetics of your district, um, the safety components, um, clutter within uh, driving and automobile corridors is a very um, important thing to minimize. Uh, there's a lot of research that's gone into the importance of not having too many signs on a driving corridor or having signs that are too tall that are actually distracting to drivers. Um, a lot of that is used by planners to then present these square footages, and I know that back during that time, um, that planning department did look at a lot of that information. Yeah, because I, I was struck by, you know, I mean, you pointed out some of the statistics about when people have taken things to the Zoning Board of Appeals, but I'm guessing that some people just choose not to fight it, if you will. Um, and so I looked at what's come before the Zoning Board of Appeals this year, and actually there was eight meetings, um, and now four of them addressed, had a sign challenge, if you will. Two of those were, were you know, be at Costco, but you had one where they were requesting um, an additional you know, eight square feet on their signs, another one where they're only asking uh, for four extra square feet, which seems to be pretty small. Uh, Costco, we won't have to go into that, but that's obviously a, a kind of a different situation. But I was struck by a comment by uh, uh, board member Seamer, who said, you know, he talked about not one petitioner has got what they've asked for over the 10 years that he sat on the board. And he said, you know, city council needs to probably change the zoning cord, uh, code because the, the, the takeaway I got from listening to him was a little bit of frustration with what the code says on the sign, in specific to signs. And he referred to, you know, Walmart, Chemical Bank, Ford, Myers, and a whole host of other uh, petitioners, you know, are in that group of, of uh, petitioners that didn't get what they wanted. And so it, it seems to me that, and it's, the zoning board does important things, but maybe we, we should look at the, the, the sign ordinance from the perspective of going out, not just have people uh, come to the planning commission, but go out and maybe affirmatively and, and seek some input from Chamber of Commerce members or things like that about experiences they have or what they would like. I mean, not that we give them everything. I think it's important to consider those four factors, but I think it's, it's probably good to affirmatively go out to the business community and see what, now you've got all these different um, you know, districts. I'm not sure, just sitting here today, I understand why there are so many differences. Uh, it seems to be that, that you'd have a proportionality, you know, the size of the building to the, you know, the sign to the size of the building or the size of each building that should be taken into consideration. Um, so I, I just think from that perspective, and it came out with Costco, you've got this massive building you know, they want to put a sign that's bigger than what the standard is, but they are putting it on a, on a humongous, uh, you know, square foot side, and they've got four sides. And, and I think most business people are prudent. They're not going to waste money on signs. You know, they're not going to put a bigger sign or 
than they have to that they think would accomplish the, the purpose. Um, and I think that I'm focusing a little bit on the building itself. I understand your, your safety concern when you put a pole out front, it could, with a sign on it, it could block you know, visibility, which is, which is important. You don't want to have that happen. But I think just going out and, and, and getting a little bit of input, um, you know, just the fact that these things have come up, and like I said, I've, I've heard anecdotally there's other situations where, you know, businesses have tried to get a sign and they've either gotten caught up because of the, the zoning district they're in or, or something else, and it just seems to me we need to be a little more friendly to businesses when we can be. And so we should probably, you know, not do this willy-nilly, but seek input and see if there's some other places where we can... Uh, you know, maybe include this concept of proportionality to the building uh, size, but that's that's sort of my my thought, and that's um, kind of what struck me as hearing. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of silly that we had to deal with Costco coming back over a sign, but uh, we've now resolved that, so that's good. But it, it still may we may be able to solve that from happening again unnecessarily. If I could address a couple of those things, I think. It's important to recognize a few things. One is signs. I think we've we've seen in many of instances they're very um, passionate type of discussion, especially at the zoning board of appeals. And when you have eight cases and half of them are signs um, over a an eleventh or a twelve month period, that does kind of dominate the discussion that takes place there. Um, so I think it's important to recognize and put that within the context again of how many signs that we are permitting and how many businesses are actually complying with the ordinance. Um, when we talk about equal protection and fairness. It's, it's difficult to try and, um, I guess, how am I going to describe this the best? Um, maybe I could say one more thing, too, would mm -hmm. be that each individual application that goes in front of the Zoning Board of Appeals has its own unique merits. And so to try and compare and contrast individual ones or try and find precedence within the decisions that they made um, is very difficult because each one has to stand on its own uh, merits and its own unique circumstances and its own findings of facts. So to try and extrapolate or... Um, determine that we're unfair to businesses, I think is, is um, not quite accurate. Um, I think it's also important to recognize that for the few that may want to seek larger variances, um, there's many more uh, others that are complying with our ordinance. And so in a matter of fairness to all of those other businesses, um, we have to be mindful of how we're applying those standards and only giving variances when there is in fact a true hardship that's being made. Um, in the case of Costco, especially with those larger signs, um, one of the things that the zoning board talked about was the fact that they're foregoing the ground signs in lieu of additional mm -hmm. wine sign, large, larger uh, wall signs, and so there was a bit of a trade that was being made there. Um, but of course, that was a very different discussion than that took place for Chemical Bank at the Circle, which was a different discussion than Midland Ford um, out on Joe Man, uh, which was also a different discussion from the two times Walmart came forward to us last year, and both were denied for additional signs as well. So. Um, so it's, it's very complex, and it's important to recognize that each of those are very unique circumstances. Yeah, and I appreciate that. But I think even the ones that didn't, that the 130-some permits that were issued, if you went back to those folks and said, you know, did you really get what you wanted, or did, was there, you just kind of said, all right, well, I'll comply, maybe what they wanted wouldn't have caused a problem from those four attributes. But that's how you find out whether the ordinances that we've got are the right ones. I mean, and this is our job as, as council, right, to, to approve these, these ordinance changes. So it's important for us to step in when there might be a need. And I appreciate stepping in if there's a need, but these have been in place since 2005. We've had very few issues that have come forward, and part of going to the ZBA is allowing the uniqueness to be presented to the board 
that is not the standard and uniformity that we have in the ordinance that's been proven to be working. Uh, I think it works very well with what we have. And when there is a unique circumstance, like Costco, then they're granted that additional signage because it is a unique situation. When you talk about the other items that were brought up that night at the uh, ZBA, that was one member that brought up in a comparison to other sign issues, excuse me, and part of those issues are they aren't unique to the Costco property. I think that was a, a blend that maybe was a little difficult to understand either for the, count, the member of ZBA or otherwise that it was unique and Costco presented it that way and they were granted it because it was. But when you mentioned that we should seek a change in the ordinance, it depends on how broad it is looked at and the fact that it maybe hasn't been working for a number of years, but it has worked. It's worked very effectively since 2005 when it was debated very heavily back then about how and where and how to go forward for the fairness of the other businesses that are in place. So I mean, I want to respect the idea that it's there for change and the ordinances can be changed and they can be looked at, but it hasn't been the type of ordinance and sign issues that create a massive overview, in my view, of that particular ordinance and the sign ordinance. We do have the anomalies that come through, and Costco is one of them. And they followed the procedures and went right through it, and the ZBA as quasi-judicial came back with a result that they believe was appropriate, and the business is moving forward with the signage that they initially wanted. But they also gave up the poll signs, so there was some give and back, give and take on it. So it's, it's been an effective ordinance since 2005. I mean, from the enforcement end, I, it has worked very well. Yeah, and I guess what I'm suggesting is just because people comply doesn't mean it's a good rule. It just means that people comply. Well, if it wasn't a good rule, we wouldn't have the people comply. And we have many mm. more than just one compliance. I mean, we have thousands of signs in, in town, and there's very few that come forward, very few on the percentages, that would indicate that it, the ordinance isn't fair or uniformly applied across the board. I'm just saying when we look at things that may not be equal in the business industry, signs are a big thing. As, as, as Grant mentioned, they're very passionate. The, the bigger the better. But there is uniformity throughout the districts at this point, and if it needs to be looked at, that's, that's fine. But just from the enforcement standpoint, there's very few that come forward for problems. There's just very few. So if I'm hearing what you're saying, the process is working. We, we aren't aware that there's an issue that needs to be, uh, you know, investigated or changed at this point. Well, where there's the uniqueness of the buildings, like Costco mm -hmm. coming forward. I mean, it's 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 so unique from what other applies <laughs> applies, and I think the process worked just like it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. Meaning, here's the minimums, here's the standards. Regardless of how close you are to the line, it's a bright mm -hmm. line rule, and it went to the ZBA, which is again is quasi judicial, and and it went through as they presented it. Mm -hmm. And I think they made a, a good argument and staff presented as they should and mm -hmm. I think the result came out uh, according to the ZBA standards. Okay. Are there any businesses that you foresee coming up that uh, have shown any concern about signage? Uh, at this time, no. Um, but that is something that we talk to applicants about early on when they engage with us. When they come forward and they say, we're thinking about doing a development here, we'd like to expand our business in this location. Um, staff sits down with them um, in a very informal manner and starts to talk through a lot of the things that may be of concern, things like fire code uh, compliance or emergency access, and signs are one of them that we do talk about so they have an expectation um, or an understanding as to where our, our ordinance lies. 
Um, I think in the case of with the Costco development, what we had was an expectation of that coming forward. First of all, we had a lot of hype in the community, a lot of excitement for that development to come forward. And, and I know planning, we were very equally dis excited that Costco was interested in Midlands Market. Um, and then we had an expectation that it would be approved at the end of October, and then, then that was delayed by the applicant voluntarily. Um, I think there was a lot of misunderstanding as to kind of how that process takes place. Um, it's not uncommon, though, for developments like this to want to go through variance approvals before they get their site plan approved. And so to your question, um, Councilman, I think, yes, the process did work, um, albeit with a bit of an expectation um, kind of getting out in front of itself. But yes, that's how the zoning board is supposed to work is to review these and, and make um, decisions. Um, and whether that's before the site plan's approved on signs or after is up to the applicant. With the past ordinance that we did, did do, the past change of sign ordinance that we did, we got a lot of business input on that and everything because that's where we allowed the banners and the stuff like that also. So we did reach out to the community during that. That's time, right? correct. That certainly was the practice when we updated the center city or, uh, uh, overlay district. Um, in fact, we had lots of information and lots of back and forth in the committees of the center city, center city authority to try and get at what would be an agreeable um, solution between business desires and furthering the, ex the aesthetic the objectives of that commercial corridor. So, so yes, past practice has been where we reach out to the business community to um, ask for feedback and have them provide their input at that time. So are you looking uh, at the, the commission to kind of look at different areas to maybe look like we did with Center City? I think in, in time, yes, because I think one of the things we saw with the Center City overlay, the, I talked about that strip mall provision, and that just applies to the Center City overlay, but it's probably an equitable, uh, equitable ordinance provision that we could apply citywide. Um, and so that's something, if you think of that in sort of a performance way, how has that been working? Um, it's worked very well in Center City, and it's something that we could think about instituting in um, citywide and make it more equitable, which would also be um, taking a look at the scale of the buildings or that least uh, uh, square footage for um, appropriate sign size. That's one of the things that struck me. You've got a, a hard and fast square footage rule, but I mean that almost regardless of the size of the building, you know, and it's, as long as you, you might need to, to look at whether, you know, the, the size, you know, it's the, the larger of, for example, X percent of the square footage of the side of the building or, you know, a fixed number of feet, which right now for the ones that came up with these two doctors was only 12 square feet. You know, which is not a very big sign, and then somebody's asking for four, and they deny four more feet, which is you know that much, and it's denied. Uh, that seems sort of harsh. A lot more other uh, considerations that were given to that denial as well, um, as part of that to effectively reach their answer was more than just the the total amount of square footage, but um, where the building is located, where the sign would be located, other use of signage on that property. Um, I can't think of all of them off the top of my head, okay. but there certainly was a long list of, of consideration that was given and resulted in that denial. So if we just took a look at Costco and said, okay, so Costco is really a big box store. So if we looked at our big box standards, do, do you think that those standards, I mean, have we looked at the just big box standards in and of themselves alone? Um, and is that something, you know, I mean, we're talking about this just, we're talking about this because of Costco. Sure, so sure. let's talk about you yes. know, well, and that I think area. Actually, to, uh, to your point, Councilman, I think uh, we could certainly look at um, applying more of a square footage or a scale provision that would flex the, the larger, the big box store, the more signage that would be offered to it. 
Um, and then we could also take a look at things like um, if you did want larger signs on your building and you forego ground signs, is there a more equitable way to do that than simply requiring you to go through the variance process? Could we, could we put that relief um, automatically within the ordinance? So there are a few things that we could look at. Mm -hmm. And square footage. I think it would be a mm -hmm. combination of that because if you just base it off of square footage, <laughs> correct, mm -hmm. that could be real ugly all of a sudden. <laughs> all right. Any other questions for Mr. Marshall? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Don't go too far. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Any comments from the public? All right, Erica, would you please read the resolution? This resolution receives and files the zoning ordinance standards for the signage report. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So Second. Okay, first and second. Discussion? Good update. Anything else? Yeah, yeah I feel I comfortable think. with where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, the plan worked with Costco and everything like that, and I think that's what he brought it up for it originally just kind of see and everything but I think he's got some guidance that we may want to look into some other things on that so uh, I think just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. I think the takeaway that I that I wanted to make sure we had here is that you know we need to look at it from the business's perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you know rules are rules but you know you can comply with the rule and it just doesn't necessarily uh, fit the best for, for the businesses and we're trying to make trying to make this a business friendly community as well. But I do like the Absolutely. that we do have a side ordinance on this and everything because it's more equitable. I don't want to have, for example, like a Bay Road or a Euclid. Um, you can see how that looks right now, and that's, I don't think that fits our character of our city. So. I was going to say something to that effect, Marty. I agree with that comment. I think our sign ordinances are pretty, pretty nice here in Midland. The thing is, I mean, there's a lot stricter ones out there. <laughs> if you look at you look at Novi or Rochester Hills, um, they are very strict and a lot smaller, and you have to have stone and <laughs> everything else. So it's like, and the process that we have works. Yeah, there's exactly. nothing broken, and if there's an exception or a request for one, we have a process that deals with it. Yeah. But I appreciate them bringing yeah. it up and everything. So yeah. we kind of talked to what we kind of gave planning commission some homework. Okay, any other discussion? All right, then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes, 5-0. All right, that takes us down to item number five, which is site plan number 394. Uh, uh, be initiated. That's consent. That's consent. Oh. Too late. <laughs> we voted on that already. Yeah. You're good. That's down to me. Sign consent. Sorry. Oh, I didn't write it down here. <laughs> It is on consent. Yes, <laughs> My gosh, I thought we were going to have a whole big discussion on Costco. No. All right, well, all right. Well, for well, the record, we did approve Costco tonight, so. Yeah. That's why Grant, I said, don't go too far. You're coming oh, right back up here. Okay, sorry. Sorry, everyone. Um, all right, so that takes us now down to uh, new business. 
So, any new business, Mr. K? I do. Okay. I'm passing out a letter for you. You recall last month, um, Council, well, a little bit of background. Um, we had the staff level been dealing with MDOT for quite a period of time. Council has certainly been dealing for quite a period of time with the Buttle Street Road Diet and the data collection process that's underway with that. And we have been asking at the staff level for that to end as soon as the data had been collected necessary to end that and allow for decisions to be made. And at the Council meeting um, last month, uh, was formalized in the form of a recommendation from this council and the directive was to provide and request specifically in writing that MDOT end that study as soon as they could and if they couldn't do so by the end of the year to come back with an update to city council. So I followed up on that directive, uh, wrote to Mr. Rank who is the Bay Region Engineer with MDOT and his letter came in today and what they have done, and I, I've known this, but I haven't had the formal letter until today, so I wasn't able to share it before tonight, um, but they have indicated that they believe um, and are satisfied with the data that has been collected to this point in time, and as such, they are going to be able to comply um, and work with the council and the staff request that's been ongoing for a while to end that study by the end of this month. Um, the timing that they're actually looking at is this week they're doing a final delay collection, basically looking at the intersections, looking what types of delays are taking place within the study. Um, they'll wrap that up this week, and if all goes well, the bollards will actually be physically removed next week. Um, their letter says by the end of the month, but um, talking with them, they're indicating that it is likely to be next week. Uh, that, however, is not the end of what they're going to uh, continue to do as far as data collection is concerned. So although the bollards will come out, the lane will be restored to a three-lane profile and traffic will be allowed to travel through all three lanes again. They will continue to have traffic collection, um, the cameras and, and trailers out there, and we'll be looking at that data through the end of January just to sort of see what they had before the trial, during the trial, and then a period of time after the trial. Uh, to make sure that they are satisfied that with all of the data and with all of the indicators from a traffic perspective and that they would then uh, compile all of that data and bring it back. So <clears throat> that's a long way to say basically that they are working um, and agreeing with the direction that came from this council um, and that staff have been working with for some period of time and it looks like um, by next week hopefully the ballers will come out and um, and then we'll have a discussion probably by the time they get all of their data collected, put into a report um, sometime February to March is when they'll likely be back fully. So, good news. Uh, yes, and I'm, I'm reading the last bit of the last paragraph here where it talks about uh, a formal resolution of support for lane reduction prior to the start of major design for the reconstruction of the business route. We anticipate a major design to begin sometime in the summer of 2020. And then currently funding is in place for the design, but no construction funds have been identified in our five-year plan. And then it says council will need to make a final determination for the lane configuration prior to reconstruction, avoid any incurring expenses related to design changes. And I just thought that was important to say out loud. Yeah, the, 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 that paragraph is speaking to the fact and we need to recognize, of course, there right. has not been a resolution to implement this. This right. is simply the data collection at this right. point in time. The data still needs to come back mm -hmm. to council. And once that's done, we will have a discussion as to what are our next steps and what does that look like um, if we're moving forward with something, what does that process look like as well, all of which they are asking for, of course, before they would actually design it. Right. Because they but need to know is it a two-lane, a three-lane, some configuration in between. Right. Um, so all of that will take place, but it would be next year. It would be summer of 2020, so is there that 
That's design. That's design. The construction, okay. just to be clear, right. the construction that we're talking about is probably four to five years at least yeah. away. Right, that's what it says. Okay, yeah. I just wanted to get that clear. Yeah, and that's regardless of what we do. Whether right. we rebuild three, we I, build two, whatever. I know people whatever. are listening to yeah. this yeah. discussion. <laughs> that's a good point. You know, I think one of the things that's really important to when all of us became councilmen, and I think it's pretty similar whether you're on a city board or commission, and regardless of what the item is on the agenda, we need to remain objective. Um, I, I struggle with, you know, voting on an item if you've already communicated your position when our objective is as councilmen to stay objective to listen to both sides of an issue and then we take action when we come to vote. So I think it's really important as we move to this next phase that we commit to what we took an oath for. I agree. Good. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, any other new business? All right, then seeing none, we're adjourned. This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland.